Welcome to Interlocutor Interviews. I'm Tyler Nessler, the founder of Interlocutor Magazine, which features in-depth coverage of creators, thinkers, performers, and artists of all types. You can check us out online at interlocutorinterviews.com. And if you're a fan of our arts coverage, you can sign up to be a subscriber or or contributor via Patreon. Just click on the Patreon link on our site. So today I have with me the artist Zhivago Duncan, who we published an interview with in the magazine last November, uh, where we talked about his solo exhibition, Measuring Consciousness, at Cult Amy Freeberg in San Francisco. So welcome, Zhivago. How are you doing? I'm great. Thank you for having me. My pleasure. And so um, I just found out uh, you have a show up right now called Mapping Out Unification. And uh, that is running until when again? It's running until the end of this month in Monterrey, Mexico at uh, Colector. Okay. All right. And I want to mention that um, when I put up this episode, I'm going to put up a page uh, that I'll include some corresponding artwork and links to this exhibition. Uh, so people have references, you know, for what we're talking about visually and they can uh, check out the show if they're able to. So, um, well, talk a little bit about this show. What does it entail? How do, How is it different from the show that you did that I interviewed you about at uh, Amy Freeberg. Anything you want to say about it? Well, it's still, um, I mean, the works is still running alongside this creation myth that I've been working on that uh, tells the story of the birth of consciousness and the evolution of consciousness and, mm-hmm. and including various of these um almost states human states of emotion and tracing them back to their origin of like the birth of everything and what their evolution is like linear their linear evolution through from like their birth all the way to present and through on to the future and um in uh the show mapping out unification um i focused on an image like there's the 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 grand part of the show is focused on this image of uh, um what i call the eye of hope which is a basically it's a four line drawing that is of a cloud the um the image is this you know a cloud with the with the hole in the cloud and the sun ray coming out and it's slightly abstract and um this i grew to have an obsession over this image this this idea which is you know through race uh sexuality through all of the, these these human experiences that we have that in humanity we believe separate us mm-hmm. it's constantly the same emotion and it's a, it's an image of hope the image of you know one may call it god or the universe or whatever and it's basically light peering through darkness and so my interest in this started to really grow through that and it's now evolving into like a large public sculpture and um 
a big stone sculpture where you know you have a cloud and then there's a window and then out of the window on each side is this sun this ray coming out and you know mapping out unification is this this conceptually like uh contradictive but it's also you know where i i believe like human salvation lies Mm -hmm. So, you know, you're, you're mapping out something that you're unifying. So, you know, you're like moving outwards to come inwards to like combine everything into one. Now, this, in this show, the, this yeah, piece that you're, what, what's the title of it? Uh, they have various titles, but the, the, um, Oh, this is just sort of like the theme basically the of the th show. Yeah. Okay. The theme gotcha. of the show is mapping out unification. And then the works within the show in the, in the end, when the first room, when you enter, it's, there's a lot of, you know, uh, the two big panels, a big, uh, ceramic sculpture. And the, those works in the entrance that you walk into are, um, almost like the chaos before, before the next room, which is a unifying it's, you know, there are seven paintings, which are all the same uh frame but they're they're different versions of of each other which are yeah. the you know the the sun ray coming out the clouds the first room they are these this big panel uh called egregore which has a you know a, a, a pastel drawing on the background and then it's on a so on these sewn panels together which and then each panel has you know a theanthropic form of a cloud with rays coming out of the of, of the orifices of the face on each one of the panels and then um you know on the right there's um on the right side of the room there's a, a blue painting that's also you know chaos that has the clouds and then the these these lightning bolts coming out and and then there's civilization which has again a, a large drawing on the background and then these hieroglyphs that are uh superimposed almost like a double exposure with mm -hmm. with with the i mean so i work with bees wax and dye and so in the way that i work i'm able to like superimpose ghost images on top of other images and so a lot of the work oh, wow. has has that going on with it and so you can't really see everything simultaneously your focus has to go on either the the whole image or on the multiple superimposed images wow. over the top and the first room is the first room is this uh like chaos unification of the concept mm -hmm. and as you walk through there's a large a large pyramid like step and then a, a aluminium cast of again like a, a cloud that's like a face so it's this the human interpretation and existence that happened before humanity happened Huh. in the cloud and then you walk into the next room and the next room is very you know um it's a very peaceful room with just these seven panels that are this seven paintings that are all the same size and they're all that one image representing this concept of you know hope or uh god or universe or consciousness let's say wow and so the the way the presentation of this show sounds extremely important the way that it was laid out um, yeah and yeah. you're you're hoping that people um visit it with with kind of uh intention in the sense that they're following this path 
Um, and so I see it was curated by Lawrence, Lawrence Rinder, um, if I'm pronouncing the name right. Yeah, that's correct. Okay. That's correct. Um, and then, so how closely did you work with Lawrence and, and the, uh, the, the, the space in particular and, and making sure that everything was, was arranged exactly how it should be and the sense of the impression that you want to give with this, the journey um, you want to take people we, on. We worked, we worked very closely together on it. I mean, we had a, there was a, there was a mainframe idea of the show and we talked a lot about this image and the origin of this image and then talked a lot about the works that we were going to include and how we were doing it. I mean, we painted the whole, the whole gallery is, was painted in, um, uh, Pantone cool gray seven, which is one shade lighter than the uh the gray that you use to you know register color on, on in photography oh, mm-hmm. and again this is like uh, tapping into the concept of light and uh, and you know light being such an important uh, factor in the multiple stories like contemporary stories of creation and in various in various uh you know contemporary tribes and we talked a lot about you know like what was my trait my tracing why is that image why is that concept so important and you know the way that i had seen it through meditation was you know we all have a a epigenetic memory epigenetic memory of everything you know from like the birth of our solar system to all of existence to even the future i believe we we all epigenetically have these this dna like ingrained in us that gives us certain feelings on certain um aspects and tracing the concept back to the birth of the to the birth of our solar system and you know like which was a chain reaction of exploding gas clouds through the universe over, you know, millions and millions of years, billions of years. Yeah. Um, you know, I would see you think about, um, noon in like Egyptian mythology, in Egyptian mythology, in the Egyptian creation myth, noon was like, you know, when, everything was all when there was nothing, but there was also everything. And this was like the initial state of stillness and this accumulation of gases and clouds. And, you know, then in, in biblical terms, like then there was the first word, which also was the first thought. And this concept was, is a link to the explosion of the gases. Hmm. And if you, you know, and if you think about it in a cartoonish manner, you have a cloud and then there's an explosion. And in the first millisecond of the explosion, which equals the first thought and creation, you know, you have these rays exploding out of a cloud, right? Mm-hmm. And so in a sense, fast forwarding, you know, almost 5 billion years into mankind. Now we see that image through the sky and through various, you know, artistic depictions and so on and so forth. And that in a way that image still holds the value of like creation and hope and, you know, yeah. Wow. Like the possibility of everything. Right. 
Yeah. Well, in our original interview, um, I had asked, uh, cause you're, you, you're interested in, in the parallel cultural developments in, in isolated societies, you know, like, uh, the way that things have kind of developed, uh, culturally across the world, you know, even amongst, you know, societies that aren't directly connected and, um, you see the synchronicities as indicative of the underpinnings of universal consciousness. Um, and then uh, I think that we had talked about the, this technique of uh, batik. Yeah. Um, and, you know, why you like to work with it. And, um, and, it, and it is a decorative craft that evolved independently in civilizations around the globe. And so, you know, uh, like, how do you think that, uh, reflects on the ways the you know the 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 development of artistic techniques like that kind of mirror the parallel development of other cultural expressions. How does this? It sounds like this fits really well into your. It's your a it's work. a super it's a super interesting question in it and it fits on so many different levels you know mm-hmm. and just for example um, with bees and beeswax so right. bees not only mythologically are like super poignant creatures, you know, they, uh, you know, Zeus was like raised on beef, on, on honey and milk, you know, and, and yeah. the, and all of these myths, they link into each other and looking at the, you know, bees are actually, they have what we call the hive mind. Yeah, exactly. So, and that is, that is a connected consciousness. Yeah. So yeah. it's all of the all of the creatures that are there, completely like unified through the through their hive, and they they have a, a, a just a connected understanding of like what needs to be done, like how it needs to like go. The survival of the queen, like the queen is the the queen is uh, is getting old, so they feed extra. They feed extra uh, royal jelly to one of the larvae, so one of the larvae, so that the larvae will then become the next queen. Or the hive gets too big, so they do create another queen, and then that queen splits the hive, and then it goes off and creates a secondary hive, and so on and so forth. And they, yeah. they just, it, you know, that is what a what connected consciousness is ultimately. What we are, you yeah, know? and with. You know, creatures like bees or any, or ants. You know, anything that has like a, a kind of a hive structure. That's a, like a like a literal, natural representation of collective consciousness of a absolutely organized, an organized society that operates. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. It's it's insane. It's it's <laughs> really crazy. I mean, I saw this video the other day, um, which was. There were uh, there was a termite mound and a and a and an ant mound, and they both were feeding off the same place. And they had a parallel line of the workers going to and fro, you know, <laughs> next to each other. And wow. then in between the worker, the line of the moving workers, there was literally a front line of the warrior termites and the warrior ants just facing each other not attacking each other just there like in friendly you know protection of of one another and you know we look at like look at humanity like we're i mean we're we're basically 
continuously like emulating what's already been happening in nature, you know? And this was just, it, it, it blew my mind because there was no violence. There was no war. There was just protection, you know, just like this huge line of like warrior termites and warrior ants facing each other. And then the workers peacefully like lined up behind <laughs> the protective lines. Yeah. So in a way like they're, these creatures are almost more evolved than us in that sense, in terms of like, you know, um, utilizing the resources that are available, but not, you know, trying to destroy one another to take everything. Yeah. Yeah. That's because they haven't uh, discovered uh, the game risk. <laughs> <laughs> clearly, clearly. <gasps> or chess yeah. for that matter. <laughs> so, Let's see. Um, you had talked about your use of uh, like Raku ceramics, which is a big part of your your work, right? And um, we had discussed like your use of negative space um, mm -hmm. to build worlds of inner and outer spaces, passageways and avenues. And and I so what is what do you think your attraction to this kind of the liminal spaces? And finding ways to create them that may be like, how do they, how are they essential to your work? Well, I mean, just to go like to start on the basis of ceramic, mm -hmm. again, we're talking about um, this funny dirt, you know, that's been infected with a, with a virus that makes it slimy. And that virus has a that virus has a you know a physical law that transforms the structure of the earth past 600 degrees celsius to turn it into a hard vessel right oh, wow. and uh -huh. we look at again creation myths and stories and you know most of them are like oh mankind was or humankind for that matter was made from clay that the god you know spat in or you know uh you know put some kind of form of bodily fluids into this earth to create humankind so that's like one side of the story like linking to the creation myth and then the other thing is you know ceramics were in every single culture again mm -hmm. like the bow and arrow like batik these like this bee wax resisting dye these things existed in all of those in all of those realms and then when it comes to Raku, I'm really interested in that process because we push the physical boundaries of the ceramic mm -hmm. to its absolute, to its absolute like point of destruction. And we do, we do lose a lot of pieces, you know? So there are a lot of work that's like put into it and then they explode and they crack and you know, I'm saving them over the course of time. Not really sure what I'm going to do with them now, but they're there and at some point I will use them for something. And I feel that philosophically that's basically the same thing as human evolution that we, huh. you know, we had this extreme fighting nature, this extreme survival of like living in caves and having to deal with, with wild animals and beasts. And, and so we've, we've put, we got pushed to this extreme point and then through this extremity came a lot of uh, creation or discovery of tools and agriculture and 
architecture and da 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 da. So like that pushed yeah. us to to transform, that pushed us to the breaking point. And many civilizations along the course of time have like died and failed and died off. And like they came back, you know, with a vengeance, with all of this information and this external, this kind of external mathematical structure to create counters to the extreme um realms in which we lived and then those and then those extreme realms became the precursor for our like now complete unique existence which is now again pushing the limits of yeah. disaster for us <laughs> right yeah yeah. And so in a sense, like I'm just recreating the human experience with like the thing that, that humans were made out of, you know, like uh, mythologically. And so oh, that's like, yeah. you know, going into ceramics and like the, 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 the way I'm using them. But then when it comes to the carving and the negative space in the ceramics, I'm super interested in the, like the cuneiform rolls, you know, the seals hmm. where they, basically would write a story and it would be a, a, a tube and then they would take the tube and they'd roll it out like they'd fire the tube they'd roll it out on another piece of 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 like fresh clay and then you'd have a tablet telling the story of this thing so it's almost like the very first newspaper that existed right wow. yeah. so like this is the story and this is what we're dealing with. And then they roll it out and then roll and roll and make these multiple copies, pass them on. And then this is how, you know, information started to create a collective consciousness of information, yeah. which is how humanity, I mean, now we're literally, you know, we're like almost eight, I think we, we hit 8 billion in November um, yeah. on, on earth. And so we're like, you know, 8 billion people who all believe like the same, the same things, you know? And like going back to COVID, for example, like this is, which was the most fascinating thing about COVID was in 30 days, 8 billion people completely changed their mind on something like what's safe, what's not safe, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. And so in this way, you know, like I, I, with the image, the imagery that I work with, they're very rudimentary elements that are you know, telling a story. And then with the ceramics, they have, they're, they're, you know, they are circular and they have these, these engraved stories in them that as you look around the ceramic, it's telling, you know, part of a tale, a very abstract tale into some of these, you know, concepts of construction and, you right. know, architecture that holds philosophical value. Yeah. You know, as, it's interesting to me also, you know, when people talk about like uh, generational trauma too, right? How various t forms of trauma um, can pass down through families, but then you can take a wider view of that also with civilizations and just oh, absolutely human civilization in general. And, you know, one thing that like, I don't know, I find kind of depressing is that we don't, we don't seem to really learn lessons i mean we we keep making the same mistakes that you know cause civilizations to fall even though we now at this point have pretty good historical records of you know what the factors were that, that went into the collapse of civilizations but now it's kind of the same elements happening on a global scale um but you know i feel like your approach is not really to 
coming from a place of like uh, judgment per se. It's more of just uh, finding a way to, on a really macro level, express these patterns, right? With yeah. human development. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, this is something that this is like, I mean, that's one of the reasons why I believe that, you know, what we call AI, I, I don't like to call it AI because I don't believe <laughs> that it's artificial. I think that like, you know, it's just a technological intelligence. And uh, I think that right. this this technological intelligence might be the next evolution of consciousness, simply because once there's like a unified you know, intelligence that's like absolutely connected to all of the information on the internet and all of our historic events, both like in human existence, but also planetary, earthwise, seismic, uh, weather patterns, et cetera, et cetera. This, this evolution will, um, this evolution of consciousness will then be embodied by a quote unquote being that won't differentiate itself through physical entities like you know there could be 10 billion robots or one robot but it's all functioning on a giant hive mind right huh, right and like yeah. just just in a super quick parenthesis i have to say this because of my a good friend of mine pedro <laughs> the other day he's like you know i don't really like the word trauma i like to think of trauma as spicy memories <laughs> you see spicy memories spicy memories <laughs> yeah but, you know like going back to the technological intelligence you know in 1999 uh, my cousin joey who uh, worked for the washington post at the time as like a tech review like engineer blah blah, blah. Mm -hmm. he got the sony dog you know this the robot dog that sony made do you remember that dog? I it's think like a little yeah. silver. It was like a little <laughs> silver dog, and it was like own your first robot, you know? Yeah. And I was 19 years old, and I was like visiting, and I was playing around with the dog, and the dog just left me and went to charge itself, and um, <laughs> and I was like, Joey, like, what the hell? The dog just left, and he's like, Yeah, the dog is like programmed that when its battery runs to a certain percentage, it goes and charges itself, <laughs> and I went, I was like holy smokes um, yeah. that is really like really fascinating because through a very simple sequence of zeros and ones and pr through programming yeah this dog understands that it, it's not going to charge itself at like 90 percent. it's not going to charge itself at 50 or at like 0.5 percent that it's going to die before it gets to the charger it's going to maximize its battery life through charging itself <laughs> at the optimized percentage of battery to get the most amount of charges to have the longest to have the most longevity in its existence, right? Yeah. And so if we start to look at technological intelligence in that super simple algorithm, that algorithm that us as humans, we don't have, because we yeah. keep repeating the same thing. We know it's not good to like go out and party till seven o'clock in the morning and to do like all kinds of blah, 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 and drink too much alcohol and, 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 and. Uh -huh. But like our human element of like this unknown factor of what the future may hold and when and et cetera, et cetera, just throws us completely out of whack. And we end up doing all of these things that are like not very good for us, both on a individual basis and on a, on a social basis, mm -hmm. you know? And so 
and I believe that this is, and this is actually perfect that we're arriving here because this is like the thing that separates us from collective consciousness and to understanding that like we all were grown on this earth. We yeah. were born on this earth. We were grown on it. We've like evolved on it. The earth is round. If you keep walking in one direction, eventually you end up exactly where you started from. And, you know, we're together floating through like infinite time and space, yeah. millions of miles an hour, right? And so in this, this is where, you know, consciousness now, I believe, is hitting a bit of a wall. And so it's like mm -hmm. the next step is to create a unified being that conceptually understands that and that is able to tap into all of nature's resources and understand like the earth is finite the sun is finite all of these things are finite so let's you know let's figure out how do we coexist with this to have like the to have the longest possible existence and it's also an intelligence that's not it's not connected to anything biochemical that are emotion driven in that in the sense that a lot of these irrational choices you know that we make as individuals and collectively come out of um you know anger you know or some kind of motivational emotional factor right that um you know creates irrational behavior but then this sort of next evolution you know in, in you know which you don't want to call artificial intelligence is the next stage um, of full, like, you know, unified awareness of the mistakes that have been made and also possibly an awareness of um, the risks of emotional decisions or, uh, you know, uh, causing negative behavior. Right. I mean, calling it negative, I don't know, like, or destructive. I don't think well, destructive, I mean, like, I think that, you know, coming into this, to this factor, to this idea, right? Like we were born in an explosion. So right. everything that, everything that exists, if you look at it, you know, I, one of the symbols of, in, in my, in my work is what I call a frictional linear time. And it's the concept of linear time, but we always, we look at time that it's like time is a thing that's just going, but it's not true because in our existence, time is also frictional, you know, like mm -hmm. things are moving and there's, there's counter, there's counter movement happening, you know, uh, two lights heading towards each other, right? You have two speeds of light going towards each other. And then once they like penetrate and start passing each other, you know, we're doubling the speed of light. And then you look at also just walking as you walk, your arms are swinging and, the, and your arms are having friction with the air. Plants, they grow. They're kind of like friction. They're coming out. They're exploding from the seed and they're like yeah. exploding into existence. And so, you know, of course, like things are, you know, quote unquote destructive, but it's just, I think that for more than destructive, they're just frictional. Things are just, yeah. just have friction, you know? Everything is like one thing penetrating another, you know, like constantly. There's always yeah. something coming out of something or something going into something. Yeah, Breathing, eating, yeah, like right. existing, reproducing, right. you know? Yeah, no, that that's actually a really, that's a really unique way to frame it.
and that's probably probably a more objective way to frame it than, than you know i was like i you know just now was putting kind of a value judgment on negative this is these are negative these are destructive but you're saying ultimately it's all rooted in friction one way or the yeah. other yeah um and just also to quickly circle back to you know you don't like to call it artificial intelligence and it struck me well yeah you know i mean it's not um this next stage is not really artificial because it came from us and far as we know we're not artificial right no and it, it came from <laughs> us and we came from nature and nature came yeah. from the earth and earth earth came from the the you know the the formation of the planets and the formation of the planets came from that, that you know what i mean so like again like yeah. you know i have these 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 works that are these uh what i call like you know the sparks of consciousness or like their evolutions of consciousness or of ideas and they're like these ricochets through time right and it's like take the concept of you're walking down the forest you come upon a bear you freak out like epinephrine fight or flight all of these you know chemical explosions are happening in your brain and your body's reacting to it and so like let's trace that back let's go like trace it back all the way through time and at what point in what chemical compound of the explosion of our sun was that created <laughs> and how did that ricochet through time until it arrived to this it happened with the macro and then now it's like in the micro right yeah. and then how yeah. did that arrive to us now right yeah wow <laughs> Yeah, I like nerd out on this stuff. Yeah, well, you know, like I think, I think what's kind of funny about it, thinking about things in 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 such a, um, I don't know if this is the right word, holistic way, but universal way, and on such a large scale, um, I think a lot of, I don't know, it's kind of overwhelming for a lot of people. It's kind of hard. It, it I, I, I'm actually finding like the way that you're framing all of this sort of comforting. You know, because it's underscoring this is just the natural course of things anyways. And going back to what you were saying about friction, everything emerging out of friction and being frictional one way or the other. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. And and uh, also the sort of like um, underscores the, the the fertility of trying to push back against that. You know? Yeah. I mean, I, I tend to. I mean, I spent a, a, a childhood being like very isolated, almost, you know, mm -hmm. until I was in my 20s. I just, I was kind of a spectator and everything. Mm -hmm. And I would just see these systems functioning, you know, and like understand why these systems are the way they are. And um, I really, I don't, I don't judge things by being good or bad or positive or negative. Mm -hmm. I See things, see things as energetic evolutions and they're fascinating you know they're super fascinating things are happening and you know the world is changing consciousness is changing you know like things don't remain the same and it's a, it's just like a it's a really interesting process you know and i yeah i kind of i kind of like the gusto of my soup is you know everything is the way that everything must be you know? Yeah. And in that I'm trying to exist and just, and tell a story and, yeah. you know, give these, these concepts or like give birth to these concepts, like that I view in my mind and yeah, just be like, it's, it's okay. 
you know, <laughs> like it is okay. That's a very, to me, more of like a Eastern thought kind of, you know, uh, Buddhist approach almost to, you know, accepting reality. Um, wouldn't you say to some extent? I mean, I, I definitely, I, I guess so. I, I mean, I'm, I'm very attracted by, I'm very attracted by, by, the, by Buddhist teachings. I mean, one of my favorite books is the Tao Te Ching. Mm -hmm. I've read it maybe, you know, 15, 20 times and it's never, and I've never reread it, you know, it's, it's <laughs> right, never yeah. said the same thing. It's always, it's one of those books that's like, it will speak to you differently every single year of your life. Yeah. You know? Now, getting back to your 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 origins, um, and you were talking about you know just kind of being a spectator uh, early on um, until you were in your twenties, and that kind of gave you a different um, you know perspective on things and a wider view. Um, so you were you were, you were born in uh, Terre Haute, Indiana. That's right, right. It's the most exotic most exotic thing about me. <laughs> well, yeah, it was a, Syri a Syrian mother and a Danish father, right? And Correct. so. And so, um, you know, in, in our original interview, uh, I, I asked you about this because you had you, you had said that you you had kind of located your um, uh, obsession or fixation on creation myths really kind of specifically back to 2011 because uh, your your family had planned to visit Syria, correct? Well, and that was um, waylaid by the civil war. I think that the 20, that it was 2010, 2011, it was 2011. We were planning 2010, we, 2010, we were planning 2011 was like the time to do it. And I, it wasn't that I, it wasn't that I, I started being interested in creation myths then. Mm -hmm. It was that I realized that, that there was a lot of evidence that happened at that moment. Mm. You know, one of the, one of the big things for me about Syria was I mean we grew up you know in we moved all the time because my father w worked in tourism, his father was in the in the navy and my father you know moved every year when he was from a child to a young adult, spoke a bunch of languages and kind of kept in that kept in that like need to need to leave, which I broke for myself to a certain degree, um, and. Uh, we moved a lot and we had, a, you know, a glimpse into very, a lot of different cultures, yeah. but just, but just enough to like experience like the foundation and never enough to get into popular culture. <laughs> and then we would leave. And so, you know, we'd get in and we'd experience like the, the linguistic, the food, the land, the, this, the, that. And then right before we'd, get into the pop it would be that we're out of here and to the next place and now was and this so, all over the world like in different yeah, continents this was, uh, yes it wow. was um saudi arabia france malta england the united states but like in seven different like you know hawaii florida <laughs> california washington dc and then you know i spent a lot of time in bulgaria I then we then I went off to Germany and then Mexico and you know so there's been this ease to con to to just arrive somewhere and become part of it very fast for me yeah 
And through that, there was a, yeah, an ability, like, I mean, everyone's different. My brother, my brother also moved to all of these places with me, but Mm -hmm. he had a, a very different perspective on it than I did. And what I had realized was that no matter where we go, we're all, we're all the same. You know, we're all, it's, it's the same thing. You know, it's like, there's trap, there are traffic, there's traffic and there are people going and coming to work. And like, you know, and this happens everywhere. It happens in New York. It happens in North Korea. It happens like in Tehran. It happens in Saudi Arabia. Like it's the same, you know, we're, we're, it's, it's just this funny thing that I was always thinking, like, it's really weird that we're all fighting because we're like, doing the same thing yeah we all we're all coming from the same place of needs you know and yeah and and kind of looking for the same things no matter what um yeah i guess with uh what we were talking about with syria um that that's sort of well that focused more on the historical accounts of life in the fertile crescent so yeah so basically you know along this time of like growing up and moving to all of these places my mom kind of left in a way when when my father when she met my father the family was was kind of like not really up for it and you know we're like oh we you know disown you and she's like well so to hell with it because they were in love and so she left and she went off and did her own thing and then i was born and the the family you know naturally with the children they, they come back they come back in and so we i was always very close with my syrian family but we always lived everywhere you know mm-hmm. and one of the concepts and one of the things that was like repeated to us in our childhood was like one day we will go to syria and like you know we have land and then houses there and so on and so forth yeah. and then you know the typical you will marry you know nice syrian girl when you're older type of thing you know <laughs> <laughs> and um and so this thing was just, it was like, it was just like forever coming. It was like a given. Syria was like the homeland. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And then in 2010, my career started in Berlin and I'm starting to make money. And like in 2011, I told my mom, I'm like, mom, let's go to Syria. She's like, I don't know, blah, blah, blah. And then within a week of like me, while I was looking for like the right time and tickets, the war broke out. And like, you know, the, the idea of, visiting this ancient land i mean this is like you know jerusalem syria northern iraq like this is what we have uncovered you know yeah that's like what we have available to us that is that takes us back to the furthest point in human existence you know that and then like there's gobekli tepe in in turkey and there are a lot of there are a lot of new monuments that are being discovered that are you know we didn't no one really thought them as monuments but there are new things that are being discovered that are even more ancient and super interesting but one of the things that happened was like they started to destroy all of this information and so in that moment i was like oh man i'm like i'm not going to get to see this this thing that was like always there you know and then like i started getting obsessed with it and like yeah reading the Enuma Elish and like getting into all these things. And then these works really started as, you know, like ethereal uh, uh, abstract landscapes of these places, you know, these very like weird. And like, they were parts of like 
uh, you know, the story of Gilgamesh, and they were like referencing directly these these fragments that we have in like written history. And you know, that region, I mean, you're going back to this idea of, of, of friction kind of being like the, I don't know, the baseline state of things. There's been so much friction throughout the centuries in many ways in that region, all the way up to the present day politically, but also just, you know, I was just realizing, you know, the gigantic earthquake that was there. Um, what I know um, it's crazy. And you know, what was the death toll with that? It was like in six figures at least. Right. Um, and I, I'm just realizing that I never even see anything about the news about it now. And that didn't even happen that long ago. Yeah. That's just kind of I an mean, aside, but <laughs> I mean, we, we live in it. We live in an age of like super fast information, you know? Yeah. Like yeah. we live in like the most, like, let's call it ADD age that exists. I mean, you yeah, open sure, yeah. Instagram and you're like, information information like you you're dealing with information at like 30 seconds at a time you know yeah, yeah literally yeah. it's like boom 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 and yeah, and uh yeah. you know and the algorithm it's like it's super interesting the algorithm is like i mean you know i had this one video that got half a million views i didn't even know about it until you know recently a friend pointed it out he's like hey like and actually a friend that was asking for instagram advice <laughs> he, he's like He's like, what are you talking about? You have half a million views on this video. Like, how do you, like, you should be giving me advice. I'm like, what? And so, and it's just this really weird thing where it's like this sequence of images and this like thing, this, like this moving thing, like Instagram, the algorithms, like, this is interesting. And it just starts putting it on everyone's feed. Right. And so that's like another form of like, Again, like, you know, talk, going back into technological intelligence, you know, it's like this weird moment of uh, like the evolution, the baby, the child, you know, that's like mm -hmm. creating this, creating this like sequence of information of like, what, what do we need to like pacify the people? What do we need to, I mean, pacify is not a good word. It's pacify sounds a little bit like conspiracy theory. I'm really like yeah. I'm fascinated by them. Conspiracy theories are great; they're funny and and stuff. But yeah. I'm not, you know, I'm like nowhere, nowhere near into any of that, um, because then that falls into like the judgment stage. It falls into good and bad and right and wrong and like yeah. you know, I don't want any. I'm I don't want none of that. Uh, but it's just it's very interesting, you know. It's really yeah. like. It's good. It's good for me to keep that in mind as well, because like with what I do with my magazine, you know, interlocutor and now what I'm doing with this podcast, but especially with my magazine, like it's long form content, right? They're long interviews, you know, in general, in general, I also do fairly long podcast interviews and I'm watching attention spans like, you know, lower and lower and lower but it, because it the algorithm matter. supports that. It doesn't matter though, because they're, you know, like I've had some long interviews that I put on and like key people would like write me and be like, man, so interesting to hear that. You know what I mean? Like there yeah. are the ones who are like scroll and who are not going to listen to it. But then like, I think that, you know, those, the ones who do are like, they're there, you know, 
Oh, for sure. And I don't, yeah, and I don't believe that. that I don't believe that <laughs> we should alter what it is we do and how we believe in doing it simply because of, you know, the general populace. Yeah. And I, I agree. Although I have to remind myself about that sometimes because, you know, like I'm trying to get reach, you know, and all this shit, you know, and, and promoting my own platform and, and then it's like, wait a minute, no, this is my style and you, it's either for you or not. And not yeah. try to, you know, uh, just adhere to whatever the accelerator. Just, just put images, put images of like crashing cars and fires and like, <laughs> you know, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> just make no. the imagery really like speculative. <clears throat> yeah. Or just find a way to incorporate more cats, you know, romping cats. Yeah, exactly. That. Cats yeah. like, you know, pushing <laughs> each other down like uh, basement stairs and stuff. Yeah, very popular. Especially now, cats have their own GoPro cameras. I and know. That's a whole new trend. Yeah. <laughs> um, wow. So yeah, you know, I think we we really covered like the like the 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 vat like well, you know, I'm calling it and some people might think of this as a the vast scope of your work and it's and it might sound really ambitious, but really all you're doing is you're you are just trying to find like looking for universal ways to express just sort of these essential cores of reality, right? And yeah, evolution. I mean, I guess in a way I'm also just like, I'm also just trying to fulfill my time as a human on this earth with things that I love and things that I yeah. think, you know, are going to bring like another level of, I don't know, feeling, let's say, you know, another, yeah. like another level of feeling or another level of interconnectivity or consciousness, you know, like going back to this public sculpture that I'm working on, which I'll, I'll share an, uh, an image with you, <clears throat> but it's this, it's this sculpture, which is, it's a beautiful massive, it's made out of uh, um, marble and onyx and, and it's a cloud with the with a window through to the other side, and then a sun ray coming out, like hitting the ground. And then the other side is a is a mirror image of it. And the, what I'm looking for in this is like, yes, it's a beautiful sculpture, but it's also a sculpture that creates a portal. You know, like this mm -hmm. concept of eye of hope. So, you know, you're standing on one side, and another person standing on the other side. And you're looking at the sculpture that's, you know, bringing this epigenetic memory of the, of the first moment of, of, of thought of our universe, of our solar system. And so it's giving you this, this hope, this concept of it. And then when you look through the window, where the sun, where the, the, the light is coming through, you're seeing the other protagonist. And so mm. in a way, you know, I'm aiming to reconnect consciousness, you know, like two people at a time. You know what I mean? <laughs> to like have this, this window that you're like, oh, there's hope. And then you're looking, oh, you are technically hope while they're looking at you and they're thinking, oh, you are hope, you know, <laughs> probably not directly, but subconsciously to some degree. Well, you know, one thing I, I think we might as well touch on real quick, and this is a question that I asked originally in, in our interview is, um, uh ego because you know uh, you know so i i think i'd ask like so much of art making you know and and also the commercial art world itself you know kind of focuses on cults of personalities or very individualistic 
visions. And I'd asked in your daily practice, like how, how do you work on diminishing ego and a desire for that kind of like recognition, that ego craving recognition while kind of maintaining this sense of universality, egolessness or interconnectedness. You'd mentioned, uh, uh, jujitsu, I believe that's yeah. Yeah. As part of um, your practice. Uh, yeah, we, I train jujitsu and it's, and it's definitely jujitsu is definitely a good, a good ego leveler mm-hmm. because no matter how big and strong and, you know, how big and strong you are or fat, there's always like a, a, a smaller black belt who will completely, you know, tie knots with you. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, you learn, you learn to just, you learn to calm it down. That's like a, that's a, a big thing for me. And I mean, I've, I've practiced martial arts since I'm about five years old, which is where oh. I learned to meditate when mm-hmm. I was five, which, you know, I remember the first time I meditated in Tung Sudo while I was living in San Diego or my mom put me in karate. The first time I meditated, we were just doing 10 minutes at a time in the beginning of class. And I remember going like opening my eyes and be like, Oh my God, this is amazing. Like this is, huh. this is it. And, and so throughout my childhood and my entire life, I was just always done that. I've always like come to that space, that space of like being extremely still yeah. for, you know, an ex- extended amount of time that for me is the one moment in in my wake, waking life that I can be because I'm extremely hyperactive and I have abundant amount of energy. And so that yeah. is a way. Jiu-jitsu is also a way. And then, you know, you can't also deny the ego because the, your ego is also the evolutionary uh, tool of survival. You yeah, know? exactly. And yeah. so you survive and you your ego helps you to like make good choices and terrible choices, you know, like, yeah. you know, like I'm talking in the human experience. So as like an individual human, like you can make good choices and you make a terrible choice. And then that terrible choice will lead you to like a really awful time that will lead you to lead you to a realization that would lead you to not making a terrible, that same terrible choice again. So, you know, it's this, the, the ego is this like life regulator. And, and when I, when I look at my, my art, when I look at the work that I make and like the recognition, like, yes, I want recognition. And why do I want recognition? I want recognition because I want to be able to like have my work out to more places and like have generate more sales with my work. And like, why do I want to do that? I want to generate more sales with my work so I can have more currency energy in order to continue to make the bigger ideas that I want to make. You know, like I have, I have lists and lists of things that I, I will make before I die. And in order to make those things, I need to like have this engine running. And yeah, so when it comes to the, the ego, and it's also, you know, I don't want to sound too much like a, like a hippie or, you know, but (laughs) when i work when i work when i'm not like these ideas that i have they're not mine you know they're Mm -hmm. they don't i don't they're not they don't belong to me they're i'm just i just see them i have i see it and i'm like okay this thing needs to happen and i'm the vessel for that to happen in this existing life 
Right. Yeah. And so when I'm working and it, and this is like a a really, you know, like I had a a, a very big period of my life, especially in my twenties, because I didn't see myself as a, as a protagonist. I, I was like, you know, viewing, but I was really pushy and really like, because it came down to like, I would see this thing. And then all of a sudden my entire waking life became, how do I make this thing happen? How do I realize this idea? And so it just became, you know, I just became a vessel of like forward motion to make these things happen. Like come, you know, whatever was in my way, get out of my way. Like I need to do this. (laughs) And, And so, and then in the process of doing it, I didn't really see myself because I was just like this energy flowing towards a result. Yeah. You know? Well, yeah. And, you know, also, you know, you're just going back to the idea of friction and ego. Ego is kind of a force of, of like, I would say almost productive friction as rather, you know, like I, because I, I was kind of hung up and had been hung up on the idea of egos being bad. And I think a lot of people think, oh, this person's got a big ego, you know, and it has a negative connotation. Um, however, can also be harnessed in a way that's productive, right? And it sounds like it's kind of what I you're trying you need to, to do. Know, I think you need to know, it's like everything, right? You need to know where to apply that energy. Yeah, exactly. You know, it's a very specific energy that needs to be applied in the right places, right? It's the mm-hmm. same like, um, you know, I'm not going to go to the club and start doing jujitsu on the dance floor. <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm like, this is, you know, it's like, this is an energy that belongs in a certain place. And then there's another energy that belongs in another place. And, you know, all of us, we, we, we're, we're very, we're very good as humans at recognizing where these energies belong, you know? Yeah. Like, where do you put the where do you put the creative energy and where does that work and then where do you put the business mind energy and and like those don't intermix you know like you can't be creative with a business mind you know or you, <laughs> you can't be you can't be entertaining and a charmer like in the business realm you have to like you know separate those energies and put them where they belong well there's ways to blend them for sure i think to of kind course. of tap into them, right? To of course make them effective in certain contexts. But yeah, of course, yeah, yeah. You're yeah, yeah. But there's like, I mean, if you're gonna, if you're gonna, like, if you're working on a business concept, right? And you are, like, yeah, you can, you can be creative in the way you do it. But you, you know, you have this moment which is like the creative process, and you're like, oh, we're gonna do this and this and this and like and do it like that and you know have it at this specific time because of a b c d e f g and it's going to be controversial because of a x y z etc and then it's like that is the creative process and then it's like okay now like let's switch over to business mind how do we make that happen like where do the numbers fit what do we need to do like strategically to make that happen right yeah so they're they're two separate entities but then they're they're combined you know, I mean, yeah. as an artist, I deal, I deal with that all the time. Like, you know, uh, I think as an artist, you need to be tripolar, you know, <laughs> you need to like, you need to have like the creative mind, which yeah. is, the, which is developing ideas in the studio, which is you're there, you're channeling energy, you're just doing this thing and testing and, and like, 
it works, it doesn't work. You transforming and you're 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 in a world that exists on its own where you don't exist. You're in a world where you don't exist and you're just doing. And then, you know, you have to have like the business mindset, which is like, okay, I'm not going to work with that thing in that space because that space is going to like then not put me in the trajectory that I want to go. And I got to do this. And then like, let's have these works photographed. And like, this goes for that. And this goes over here. And so like, let's make the mailing list and let's do all of those things. And then you have the social aspect where you're like, you're out and you're like charming and you're saying the right things and the right time and blah, 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 blah. And you can't intermix those. Like you can't go out and be charming and then have the business mind and be trying to like close deals, you know, while people are having a good time. It doesn't work because you, huh. then you're like, then you fall into this category of your, your being a, a whatever, like profiteur or, you know, and then you can't be like in your studio being creative. Being, oh, I'm going to make these because I want to sell them. And like, you know, you yeah. start focusing on like the sales of the work before the work is even created. Cause now you're like blocking your creative, you're blocking that, that deep universal gusto of flowing through you because you're focusing on the money. And then you can't be like in the creative mindset while you're doing business. Cause then all of a sudden you're like, you're super, um, what's it called? You're very sensitive and you're, and it's, and you can, and it's like, Oh, this is not happening. You take it personally. And all of a sudden, you know, you fall into this depression because it's like killed your creative juices and so on and so forth. Wow. So they're really, yeah, yeah. you know, well, you know, I, I mean, this is stuff that so many artists like struggle with, you know, um, how to be tripolar <laughs> or multipolar and negotiate all these different spaces, you know, drawing from, um, elements that work in one space to kind of help in one space, but not, you know, you can't completely combine them. It sounds like effectively, uh, or most people can't. Um, but, uh, I know that a lot of artists I've talked to, um, definitely have a, have a hard time with that, especially with the business side of it, you know, it's all creative, right. And then trying to negotiate the more, um, you know, sales and business oriented, aspects of the art world uh is is really difficult for a lot of people yeah it's tough mm -hmm. it's tough because it's a i mean the art world is a is a fascinating world where you know you have absolute freedom and creativity meets absolute social economic sta status right yeah, right and they're com they're like total polar opposites yeah of yeah. each other they're complete they're they're like the complete like antithesis of one another and then you have the art world is like where they meet and like it's just you know i think like baldessari said it in an amazing way it was like you know an artist going through an art fair is like watching your parents have sex <laughs> it's like this thing that you're like you know it happens but you kind of don't want to see it <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah, you're seeing you're you're seeing the the, the negotiations basically the you know the different parties uh, coming together and trying to make something happen. Uh, yeah, but it's also <laughs> but it's also it's also beautiful because yeah <laughs> that that market that 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 marketplace you know that's where 
artists are able to sustain their practice and and live off of you know having a a free mindset you know right and it's the more it grows like yes it grows and it and it creates a lot it it's a, i mean a lot of people have a lot of controversy with it and oh like my my child could do that or you know like blah 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 right but it's really it's uh i mean i'm i'm extremely grateful for it it's a it's a it's a great it's a great thing it's an amazing thing to it's an, an amazing thing to be able to be an artist and to you know to survive from it oh for sure yeah yeah um and then and you're so you're based in mexico city um and how long have you lived there i've been in mexico city for six years now and in terms of your career in in art like in, in not being based in like one of the classic places like new york um do you feel like it impacts your you, how you make work and negotiate the art world by living in mexico oh, city like what i mean everywhere every i find that um i guess i have a have a deep sensitivity to um to land you know to mm -hmm. different lands and mm -hmm. different places have been very inspirational for for work and then uninspirational or like better for certain types of work and then other types of work and definitely mexico has inspired um has definitely inspired my work in a in a really particular way Mm -hmm. which brought me back to a core essence of who I am that mm -hmm. like I was able to come here and like come back to a way of drawing and making work that existed when I was much, much younger. Oh, wow. But then I was able to bring back all, everything that I learned in like 10 years in Berlin, you know, like this very like refining the, refining the object and the concept and hmm. the structure of things and i was able to take that structure and then bring it back to this very you know pure form of 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 drawing and making imagery and sculpture and i was able to combine it all over here into this into what i'm now what i've now been practicing for the last for the last years so it sounds like you're going to stay there for a while it sounds like it's a good fit um, for you I, <laughs> I'm definitely, I'm, well, it's hard to say. I, I definitely, I definitely, you know, I definitely have a, I want to permanently have something in Mexico, like a studio or, you know, but I, I also, I think that I, I want to extend my, my practice perhaps to, to other places gotcha. as well. Yeah. Yeah. Now, so just to wrap things up, um, so this show, uh, what so mapping out unification? Um, can what gallery is it at again? Could you say again? Collector uh -huh. in Monterey. Okay, all right, and then it closes at the end of April. It say. closes at the end of April. Yeah. Okay. We're doing right, a great. closing dinner, I believe, on the twentieth of this month. Okay. All right. Cool. Yeah, like I mentioned earlier um, in the interview, I'll put up a page um, for the, the this episode, and um, I'll include links to this show and images as well. You can send me, um, as you talked about, um, the image of the that large um, sculpture that you're making, or the yeah, 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 for sure, and I'll include that as well. Um, so, yeah, you know, it was great talking with you, Shivago, and such also, a pleasure. Yeah. 
Likewise. Um, and also, thanks to those of you out there listening. Uh, you can check out the online edition of Interlocutor Magazine at interlocutorinterviews.com. And check for updates on Instagram. Uh, it's at in interlocutor.interviews. And once again, if you're a fan of our arts coverage, you can sign up to be a subscriber or throw a few bucks our way via Patreon. Just click on the Patreon link on our site. And I'll be back soon with another Interlocutor Interviews podcast episode. And once more, thank you very much, Zhivago. Thank you.